Good morning, church. Hey, we are so grateful to see you this morning. Uh, happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Uh, what an awesome opportunity for us to gather together. And aren't we so thankful for God's provision that even though we all long to be together in person, and hopefully we will be soon, uh, we still have the opportunity to gather in this day and age uh, through the means of technology. And so we're so thankful for that. We're also so thankful for the dozen people that help us every single week pull this off here uh, on our campuses. And so we are so grateful to them and all the people that continue to make this happen. Now, real quickly, before we hop into the book of Hosea, uh, as we talk through what it looks like to see this series move forward uh, together. Here's what I want to let you know. Two weeks from today, uh, that's going to be June 7th, uh, we are going to gather again uh, in an outdoor service. And so we're going to be hanging out together, encourage you to go ahead and put that on your calendar. Two weeks from now, uh, we're going to spend some time praising God together. We're going to do it on the South Lawn on our Wills Point campus. We're looking forward to sharing all those details with you this coming up week and hope that you'll plan to join us. Now, real quickly, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go ahead and turn with me to the book of Hosea. Uh, Hosea is tucked into your Old Testament. It is the first of 12 minor prophets. And so I encourage you, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there now. And as we prepare our time together this morning, I want to take a few moments and let's just pray together and let's ask God to give us wisdom and clarity and uh, ask him to help us see some things in the text that are really important. And so let's pray together, friends. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for our friends that are hanging out with us right now. Uh, Lord, we thank you for those that uh, are are seeing and and enjoying uh, the word on a daily basis. Lord, we thank you for those that have already in the last handful of days spent time in Hosea 1. And as we walk through it today, I pray, God, that you would illumine our hearts and our minds to see what it is that you would have for us to see. Father, I pray that you would help us to um, have the eyes of the Lord, that God, we would celebrate your faithfulness and that you would help us be a faithful people because you are a faithful and loving and a patient God. Father, I pray that as we uh, discover this text this morning, that you would give us wisdom and clarity and discernment. And most of all, in a world full of distractions with uh, the coffee pot still brewing and kids moving throughout the house, Lord, I pray that you would help us just to reflect and see your word for what it is this morning. Father, we thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so here we are this morning and we are jumping into Hosea chapter one. And what we're talking about is a faithful husband and a promiscuous wife. Obviously, we uh, gave the background of this story last weekend, and if you weren't able to join us, I encourage you to go back, and you can find that online under the Messages tab, and you can go and review the background uh, yourself. I encourage you to do that. It would take you about 15 minutes to do so, uh, but certainly encourage you to go and get the background. But here's what we see in verse 1. It says that the word of the Lord came to a gentleman named Hosea. Now, Hosea was the son of Berai in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. All of those, according to verse 1, are the kings of Judah. And it was also in the, king, uh, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. Now, Jeroboam is Jeroboam II, and he is the king in the north. 
And so what we talked about last week is the kingdom was actually divided many years earlier uh, at the hands of Solomon's sons, uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Uh, It created uh, a division in the land. And to the north, there was a people called Israel, oftentimes referred to uh, from their largest tribe called Ephraim. And what we see is is that uh, Hosea is speaking largely to that group of people in the north. And he's saying, hey, listen, uh, there are some things that are happening and you need to be aware of those. Now, what we do know is that uh, Hosea's ministry would span some 45 to 60 years. And we know that he was faithfully talking to the people of Israel about their idolatry. And last week we discovered that anytime that you have idolatry in our lives, that it always leads to immorality. Anytime that we replace God with a person, a place, or a thing, we're going to find ourselves drifting away from God's holiness into immorality. And that's exactly what would happen with the people of Israel. And so as they drifted, God uh, would raise up a handful of prophets. Now, what you would oftentimes uh, need to know is that when, when, uh, the Lord rose up Hosea. He didn't just raise up Hosea. He actually uh, rose up a handful of other guys that would prophesy in and around the same time that uh, Hosea was. Matter of fact, we could call them the Ami prophets. Uh, to the north, you had Amos and you had Hosea speaking. And then to the south, you had Micah and Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. That's why we'd call them the Ami prophets. And so in the same time period, you got a couple of guys speaking to the north, a couple of guys speaking to the south. And Hosea's message is one that is explicitly different than many of the other prophets. And that is because of what happens in verse 2. When Hosea is encouraged by the Lord to go and speak on behalf of God, verse 2, God begins to outline how he's going to do it. And this is what he says. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go and take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took a lady named Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, And she conceived and she bore him a son. Now, what we see is this, is that uh, as you look at this picture of marriage between Hosea and this woman named Gomer, you have to have something else in mind. And that is the picture of God's faithfulness to his people, Israel. And what we see here is a faithful husband. We see one in Hosea who's going to be faithful to his wife, who's going to love her, who's going to cherish her, who's going to honor her. Until death do they part, he is not going to forsake his part of the covenant. At the same time, you have this woman named Gomer who at some point she leaves the covenant that she made with Hosea. And she decides that she's going to depart from the very covenant that she made and she's going to go and explore other men. And she's going in many ways to have fornication and adultery with other people. And if you can understand what must be happening and going through Hosea's mind to see the wife whom you love, to go out and explore and enjoy things with other men while you're at home being faithful to her, you must begin to understand how agonizing that would be. Now, the reason that God does this is because he wants Hosea to feel what our holy God feels. Can you imagine what it must be like for the God of heaven and earth to redeem a bride called Israel, to bring them out of the wilderness, to help them uh, 
go into a land of promise, that he would appoint kings, even though they decided that uh, they wanted a, a different king than him. And so God gives them kings because, uh, to, in a sense, to punish them because they longed for something more than what God wanted to give them. And so they became unfaithful to him. They began to, in many ways, uh, long for other things. And God begins to show them that through Gomer's life. Now, we, we look at Gomer and we realize that uh, she probably began faithful to her husband, but it wasn't long after that she would begin to, to depart him and her faithful covenant. And what we would see is that God would use her as an example as well. So as we read through this entire book together, as we mark it up, as we study it, we have to look at Hosea and see that he is a depiction of a faithful man, and he's also a depiction of a faithful God. As we look at Gomer and all the mistakes, all of her turmoil, all of her promiscuity, we have to realize that she is a representation of unfaithfulness, infidelity, idolatry, immorality, and she also represents this people called Israel. Matter of fact, he, the meaning God, is going to use this woman and her sin as a picture of what's going to happen to Israel. And so that's what begins in verse 4. It says, And the Lord said to him, meaning Hosea, that you are to call his name, the son that your wife is going to have in unfaithfulness, you need to call him Jezreel. The word Jezreel literally means that God sows. Matter of fact, when you think about God sowing something or a farmer sowing something, it means that there's a scattering. And so if you think about seed being scattered, Jezreel means to sow or to scatter something out. And that's exactly what God says is going to happen to the people of Israel in particular, those in the north, the tribe of Ephraim and all those other nine tribes that are represented uh, in the reign of Jeroboam II. So he says, call his name Jezreel for in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu, Jehu for the blood of Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now Jehu would actually probably be said Yehu in the uh, Israelite culture. And he was indeed a Yehu. Uh, he, he did uh, what, what was honorable in the sight of the Lord for a moment, and then he returned to the very things that other kings in the north would do. Now, if you can understand the context of verse four, this is what he's saying. He goes, call his name Jezreel. And the reason he's talking about that is because the valley of Jezreel means something to the Israelites. Matter of fact, if I were to bring up the words 9-11, all Americans know what that is. If I were to bring up the words Pearl Harbor, it invokes a certain emotion for Americans. We know what that is. If I were to bring up the words coronavirus, listen, that invokes emotions, doesn't it? And on lots of different ends of the spectrum. And the reason why is because we identify with what's happening right now in our culture. So when you hear the word Jezreel in the Israelite culture, particularly in the North, it invokes emotion. And here's why. Because we see outlined in uh, 2 Kings, we see what happens uh, with this guy named Jehu. Jehu becomes uh, the king. He overthrows the house of, of Arab and he begins to 
go in and he's, he's got a commission from the Lord and that is to in, invade the, the north and in a sense usurp the authority there and then he's going to remove the Asherah poles and he's going to remove all the prophets of Baal and he has that calling from the Lord. The Lord is going to be in to clean the house in the kingdom of Israel towards the north and Jehu is going to be responsible for that. And so what he does is he goes and he, he begins to work through the kingdom and he he, uh, he begins with uh, the son and the son-in-law of, of the kingdom. He actually gets the son-in-law of the kingdom in the south as well. His name is uh, Ahaziah. So he gets Jotham to the north, Ahaziah to the south. Jehu actually then uh, calls all of his uh, all the prophets of Baal and say, hey, I want to gather together and he deceives them and then he has people plunder them. And so in one fell swoop, you see that Jehu is going throughout the kingdom and he is killing people that have anything to do with the Baals and with the gods of the Baals. And he is just slaughtering them and slaughtering them. And the problem is, is that his heart is still wicked. Matter of fact, we know that Jehu would also return to, to do the very things that all the kings prior to him had done in the north. And that was to be about the sins of his forefathers, Jeroboam uh, I, and that he would forsake God and he would do so many of his own things. But here's what happens. Basically, because of his sin, God would say, hey, listen, I'm going to allow you to have a lineage but your lineage is going to come to an end. And that's what he's talking about in verse four. Matter of fact, Jeroboam II, the king that, that uh, Hosea is talking to in the north, his kingdom is about to come to an end. And the last one in that dynasty is going to be a guy named Zechariah who will reign for just six months on the throne. And Hosea is telling this king and the people of the north that God is bringing judgment. You have been unfaithful. You have had infidelity towards God. And just as Gomer has been unfaithful to Hosea, you have been unfaithful to me. And judgment is coming. And it is knocking on their door. It is imminent. They cannot do anything about it. They cannot control it. And here it is. Matter of fact, in verse five, it says, and on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. What he does is he says is that just as Jehu went and wiped out the valley of Jezreel Jezreel and Ahab and uh, Jezebel and all of that kingdom, guess what? I'm coming and I'm also going to remove you. I'm going to do something about your sin. And it's all outlined in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 7, 2 Kings chapter 15 and 16. All of it is outlined. And here's what happens. Um, there's going to be a couple of guys that come together. There's going to be resin from uh, Aram that comes together with a guy named Pekah, which is also going to be a guy that's a, a king in the north. And they're going to conspire and they're going to decide that they're, they're going to do some things. Uh, and, and here's what happens. They actually get a plan together and they decide that in their kingdom, that in the north Israel, they're going to go on a, on a quest to destroy other people. And one of the people that they want to destroy is their, uh, their cohorts down in the south called Jerusalem. They want to go after the south and they want to invade it and they want to take and plunder Jerusalem and bring it back to themselves. Matter of fact, we see that it's outlined and Isaiah uh, even speaks on 
uh, about all this to a guy named Ahaz. Uh, he says, hey, listen, it's going to happen. Uh, they're going to come, but don't worry. The Lord is with Judah, uh, and you don't have to worry about it. The Lord is after Israel to the north. And so what happens is, is Rezin, this king of Aram, gets together with Pekah, the king of Israel, and they conspire. They decide that they're going to go to the south. And what they do is, is they kill um, 125,000 Israelite soldiers to the south, those in Judah. And then they decide that they're going to take 200,000 women and children, and they're going to bring them back up to the north. And as they're doing that, we see outlined in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 28, there's a guy named Obed. The only time you see him mentioned in scripture that he meets them on the way back after they've just plundered the south. They're bringing people up. The king of the south, King Ahaz, is, he's afraid. He's worried about all that's happening. And uh, Obed stops him and says, hey, listen, you've already brought about yourself judgment. The Lord has already warned you. You don't want to bring further judgment upon your head. You better take all of these people in which you have plundered and you better remove them back to the south or the Lord is going to bring a greater vengeance upon you. Sure enough, um, Pekah, the king of Israel, listens because as he brings them into Israel, he is warned by other men who say, we want no part of this. Do not bring them here because it's going to invoke the anger of the Lord, which we know by the prophet Isaiah and Obed that the Lord's anger was already invoked by what Pekah had done. Meanwhile, here's what happens. In the south, Ahaz, the one who has been plundered, he conspires with the king of Assyria, a guy named Tiglath-Pilazar III. And he goes, hey, listen, could you help me overcome the north and Pekah? And so sure enough, Tiglath-Pilazar, uh, all in history goes and he invades the north and they are plundered. And in a sense, what God does is about 10 years before the final plundering uh, under Shalmaneser, the king that uh, would follow as the grandson to Tiglath-Pilazar before the final destruction of 722, God is already deporting people and they are being scattered. And so beginning at about 732, the north is beginning to be scattered. And in 722, get this, the people are not only scattered, but they are departed and they are, in a sense, like the Valley of Jezreel. They are scattered out and God brings judgment on the, the, on the, the northern kingdom. Jehu's lineage comes to an end. The north is eventually plucked out and they are destroyed. Uh, their final king and all of this is a, is a guy named uh, Hosea who's going to be captured, taken away in captivity and all the people are scattered. And so that's what's happening in chapter one. And I don't know about you, as I explain it, I go, man, that's a lot to take in. And so what you need to realize is that the prophet Hosea is simply telling the people of the north that your kingdom is coming to an end. God is bringing judgment and he is going to scatter you. And he does that. Matter of fact, as he scatters them, Hosea says, you're going to have another, or God says to Hosea, you're going to have another child. Look at verse six. It says, he again conceived and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name, no mercy. Now in your Bible, it may say lo ruama, which literally just means no and mercy. And so he goes, you need to call your daughter, no mercy, for I'm not going to have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all but I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord, their God. I will not save them by bow or sword or by war or horse or by horsemen. So what he's saying is, is he goes, listen, 
the north is going to be scattered. I just shared with you how that's going to be done. And so here it is, Hosea is writing many years earlier, and he's telling the north, you're going to be scattered. That all happens at the hands of Tiglath-Pilazar, the king of Assyria. The north is invaded. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be scattered. Meanwhile, what God is also saying is, is while the north has judgment, I'm going to protect my people towards the south. And why he's doing that is for a couple of reasons. One is in the north, they had 19 kings. All of them were unfaithful. Not one of them was good. In the south, they had 20 kings. 16 of them were unfaithful and four of them were faithful. And all the four kings that were faithful seemed to buy more time for the people of Judah. Meanwhile, there's a second reason that God would protect Judah a while longer, and that was because of the Davidic line, that God would promise Isaiah, uh, the prophet, and the people of Judah uh, that there would become a Messiah, Isaiah chapter 7, and that he would come from the Davidic line. And that happens with our friends in the south. And so that's the promise. God says, I'm going to destroy the north. I'm going to protect the south. Now, here's what's interesting. About 20 years after the north is deported and they're scattered, um, there becomes a king in Assyria that he decides that he is going to go and he's going to plunder the south, Judah. His name is Sennacherib. Uh, You see the story of Sennacherib in a couple of different places in the scriptures as well. And Sennacherib in in 2 Kings uh, 18 and 19 is going to go and he plans to plunder the south. But remember, God promised Hosea and the people of Israel that the south wouldn't be plundered. And so here's what our faithful God does. Listen to this. Sennacherib goes and he tells uh, the king of Judah at that time, the king Hezekiah, that, hey, listen, um, you need to prepare yourself because I'm coming for your people. And he writes letters to Hezekiah as they are outside of the city. They've boarded up the waters. They're not letting water go into the city. They're planning to, in a sense, uh, produce a a man-made famine in the land where people are going to have to come out of the city. There's no longer going to be a fortified front. And Hezekiah begins to pray. Hezekiah begins to search after God and and in fear, he he begins to to ask God to protect him. Meanwhile, Sennacherib has already invaded people in Judah and around the, the capital. He's squished so many other adversaries that he is haughty and he's proud and he's arrogant before God. Matter of fact, he tells Sennacherib, hey, do whatever you want in terms of praying. It doesn't matter. Everybody else that my kingdom and my forefathers' kingdom in Assyria have conquered, all that all of them prayed as well. And it didn't work out for them. So if you'd like to pray, go ahead. But it hasn't worked out for any other people and their gods. And that is when Hezekiah is invoked to pray to his king to his loyal God. And in 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 15 through 19, this is what Hezekiah prays. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and they have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. 
So now, O Lord, our God, save us. Please, God, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah offers God, uh, God a prayer and he goes, God, Sennacherib is on our border. You promised through the, the prophets Hosea and, and Amos and, and Micah and Isaiah specifically to me that, that God, that we would not be overcome, that you were gonna protect us in the South. Oh God, Sennacherib is here on our borders. We can feel him near and, and his presence is daunting. It's fearful. He's overcome all these other countries. He has mocked their gods because they are of wood and stone and of carved image. But God, you, oh God of Israel, you're the one who made the land and the sea. You're the one who spoke all things into existence. God, you are the one who is worthy to be praised. God, would you show them and all the other nations of the earth that they can't stand up against you? And what's incredible is, is God would answer Hezekiah's prayer and he would protect the people in the South. And in one night, God would send uh, his presence into the Assyrian camp and 185,000 Assyrian soldiers would die in an instant. And Sennacherib had his attention received. And in that moment, he decided to pack up his belongings and head home. Upon receiving himself to the home, he goes into the temple of his gods and his two sons kill him. Listen, God is on the throne and he's telling the people of Israel to the north, you're going to be departed because God is detested at your sin and your unfaithfulness, but I'm gonna protect Judah in the south. And that's exactly what God does. Meanwhile, the prophet Hosea is not done. He continues to tell the people to the north what God is gonna do. Not only is he gonna judge them and protect uh, the people in the south, in verse eight, he says, and when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore another son, meaning back to back to back, she's having children. And this third child is going to be called not my people, which is the word lo ami, which literally means not people. Uh, and he says, that, for you are not my people and I am not your God. And so what God is saying through the prophet Hosea, he's saying, hey, you need to tell people to the north. I've seen their idolatry. They've gotten in bed with foreign gods. They have bowed down to the, the gods of Baals. They have built Asherah poles. They have built temples. They have put up golden calves. They are bowing down to, to things that they shouldn't bow down to. The stench has raised to the heavens. I'm having it no more. I'm gonna scatter them, bring judgment upon them, and they are no longer my people. I am casting them out of my presence. And that is the judgment that Hosea is talking about. And it's all not only being spoken about to the kings of Israel and to the kings of Judah, he has also experienced the weight and the struggle in his own life as he watches his wife in fornication and in adultery go and lay with other men and bring things home that are not pure or pleasant. And if you can imagine what Hosea is feeling is the exact thing that is invoked in the emotion of our God when his people, Israel, are not faithful to him. But even then, when people are not faithful, God says there is still hope. Matter of fact, look what, what he says. Verse 10, it says, Yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. Now, if you have read your Bible and you understand your Bible, you'll know exactly what that means. If you're here and you're kind of learning what your Bible means, you're like, I still don't have it all together. 
this reminds us of a covenant called the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, uh, he says, hey, listen, if your people will follow me, if they'll love me with, with all that they have, guess what? I'm gonna give them land, I'm gonna give them people, and I'm gonna give them blessing. And, and he says, I'm going to produce in them a large number of people. He even promises uh, Abraham a little bit later in Genesis, he says, I'm gonna make the people of Israel as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the sea. He goes, I'm gonna bless them immensely if they'll follow me. The challenge was is that they didn't follow him. And yet even in their infidelity, look at our faithful God. He comes back in verse 10 and he goes, but listen, I'm gonna keep my presence there with the people. Even though they're not my people, I'm still gonna love them. They're gonna be the apple of my eye. I'm not gonna forsake them. I'm not gonna leave them forever. I'm just gonna allow them to go and run after their foreign gods and I'm gonna be right here waiting on them. And he says, he wants to bring them back to a place where they cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall also be said to them, children of the living God. So what is he doing? He's saying, listen, I'm gonna keep my word. And here's what my word is outlined by. And here's what God does. God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, hey, if, if people will do what I've asked them to do, I'm gonna keep them in the land. I'm gonna give them blessing, a heritage, and I'm gonna show faithfulness. But if people don't do what I want them to do, and that is by keeping the law later, which called the Mosaic covenant, he goes, if they don't keep my law, then guess what? I'm gonna have to remove them from the land, which is the Palestinian covenant. The Palestinian covenant is tied to the people of Israel. And if the people of Israel don't do what God wants them to do in faithfulness, then God says, hey, guess what? I'm gonna remove you from the land. I wanna sow good things in the land. I wanna give you people and blessing and heritage. But if you don't want the things I want and you wanna be faithful to me as your God, then I'll scatter you. I'll deport you. I'll, I'll leave you to your own devices. I'll let you pray to, to gods that are really no gods at all and you will suffer immensely. It's your choice. And they choose to go and be uh, unfaithful to our holy God, the God of the Bible, and they do things that are explicitly opposed to what God wanted for them. And so because of that, God scatters them. But he says, I will one day bring you back together and I will call people my people. Matter of fact, he does that through another covenant called the new covenant. A covenant that you see outlined in Jeremiah chapter 31. He tells the prophet Jeremiah later on in Israel's history, he goes, listen, I'm gonna bring about a Messiah. One that Isaiah promised Hezekiah about. One that God promised to be faithful to, and that is his son, Jesus. One who will gather people to himself. Matter of fact, it's further outlined in verse 11. As we close this chapter, I want you to see it. It says, and the children of Judah, that means to the south, and the children of Israel to the north shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. Now you might ask yourself, well, who is that? Well, what God is saying, he says, listen, I'm gonna gather all the nation together again. Yes, y'all divided yourselves. 
You've taken up kings. They've been evil. You wanted kings. I gave you kings. They did not uh, line themselves up faithfully with God. They didn't judge judiciously. They weren't fair. They were oppressive. They were haughty. They were proud. They were arrogant. They weren't like me at all. I gave you that, but one day I'm going to give you one head. I'm going to give you a faithful king. I'm going to give you one who judges perfectly. I'm going to give you one who is uh, perfectly right. He judges not only justly and fairly, but he never makes a mistake. And he is going to be the king of Israel that you've always longed for. And he says, and I'm going to gather both the north and the south, and I'm going to bring them together, and I'm going to call them my people. Amen. Like that's what we have to look forward to. God gathering all the nations together, but even the nation of Israel, the one who he still has a promise to, and that is in the last days to gather them. But listen, friends, I want you to see where he says that's going to happen. Look at this. And they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Now, I don't know if that means that in the last day, God is going to bring about the gathering of God's people in the, in the valley of Jezreel. I think that could be what it means. But here's what I, I want you to know for sure what it means. Jezreel means to sow or to scatter. And listen, that can be very negative or that can be very positive. Now think about this. In the sense that God was talking to the prophet Hosea, he's going, hey, I'm gonna scatter your people. They've been disobedient to me. And guess what? They're out of my presence. They are scattered. They're away from me. But here's what our king does. He says, but those who love me, he goes, I'll bring them back because I'm a faithful king. And a scattering can be a really bad thing, but if you'll keep your eyes fixed on me, if you'll remember the God of faithfulness, the one who always keeps his promise, his covenant is perfect and pure, he goes, I'll bring them back. Amen, church. That's what God is doing. And I will even say to you in this moment that not only is God faithful to bring Israel back in that time in Jezreel where he goes, you were once scattered, but now I'll bring you back. And what I sow in you will grow in you. Church, that's what God is doing now. God has scattered in many ways the church. And listen, there's many of us that we're ready for a regathering of the church. But listen to me, the regathering of the church is only sweet if the scattering is sweet. If we're not doing our jobs now, then why should we regather? Who, are you, who have you shared the message of hope with? Who have you pointed towards the Messiah? What, are, what is your language about? What are you talking about? Paul commissions us to do all things without grumbling and complaining. Friends, we ought to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And listen to you, I cannot wait. There is no one who wants to gather with you more in person than me because talking to this, chick, this camera, quite frankly, is getting old. But what I want you to understand is that there is no point in us gathering on the weekends if we're not going to be God's people every single day. And that's what God was looking for in his people Israel. He wanted them to be God's people. He goes, listen, there's, there's nothing worth bowing down to. Money is not worth bowing down to. Bell, it cannot answer your prayers. Why bow down to it? These foreign women who you continue to get in bed with, why are you seduced by them? They will not provide for you. And so he provides a faithful husband to a promiscuous wife. Hosea, a picture of God to this woman named Gomer. And God says, I want you to see my faithfulness. I am a true king. I am worthy of your worship. Follow me. And church, that's what God has done. Can I tell you real quickly, here's what God's done. 
God took Israel, the starting quarterback, the star player, the one who had all the talent, the prized possession, but the one who was uncoachable, disobedient, and would not do his job. And he said, I'm going to put you on the bench. And then he rose up. In this day and age, someone that didn't have near the talent, didn't look near as good. Matter of fact, they're called Gentiles. Um, they came from this, this place kind of like Samaria. They're kind of half-read mutts. That's you and me. And God says, I'm going to use you. And we're going to call you the church. And we're going to put you in the game because the star player was disobedient. They didn't do what the God of the Bible asked them to do. And so in this time, he goes, they're scattered. And one day I'll regather them. But until then, he says, I'm looking for the bride of Christ to adorn her faithful husband. The bride of Christ is you and me and our true king, our true prophet, our true priest is all fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And one day Israel will see what you and I get to see now. Amen. One day they'll have what you and I have. Until then, friends, what if we continue to thank God for what he's done for us? Friends, let me pray for us, and then we're going to continue together in Hosea this week. Uh, if you haven't uh, already, I encourage you to go to stonepointchurch.com forward slash stonepointnews. Sign up for it because you can be a part of weekly and daily devotionals with us. Friends, we love you. Hang around. Let's sing together, but let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. God, even in the midst of unfaithful people, Lord, you continue to be immovable. You were a covenant keeper. You were a solid and firm foundation. And Father, I pray that we would see your faithfulness, that God, that we would desire to see you, know you, and love you. God, we thank you for a prophet Hosea that prophesied 2,700 plus years ago to the people of Israel. He was trying to help them see the faithfulness of their God, but yet they chose to do other things. Father, I pray that for those of us who know you and have embraced your son, Jesus, Lord, I pray you would help us to be faithful. Help us not to slowly drift away. Help us not to forsake you and the God of the Bible. Lord, we need your help. Father, just as the old hymn would say, we need thee every hour. Oh God, we need thee. So Lord, I pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.